to this leggy creature with her slick hair and sleek limbs and sleek social instincts. Isabel had her father's coloring, the olive skin and dark hair, but otherwise could have been a lanky changeling. Are we snack family today? she asked, imperious as a duchess. No. Are you sure? Yes. It would be horrible to forget, Iso said. Horrible? Eliza echoed, trying not to smile. Almost as bad as the first time we were snack family and you brought that disgusting jerky. Bill Tong from Daddy's trip to South Africa, Albie said, dreamy with remembering. I liked it. You would, his sister said. Don't squabble, Eliza said. I don't. Albie was not only keen to be fair, but accurate. His sister was the instigator in almost all their disagreements. Iso rolled her eyes. They never used to fight, even in this one-sided fashion. They had been close, if only because Albie worshipped Iso, and Iso enjoyed being worshipped. But when they left London, Iso decided she had no use for Albie's adulation. To Eliza's dismay, she appeared to have conducted a ruthless inventory of her life, jettisoning everything that threatened her newly invented self, from her little brother to the last syllable of her name, that innocuous and lovely Bell. I so, Peter had said. People will think it's short for isotope. Shouldn't it be Izzo? Iso had rolled her eyes. A freckled, red-headed little brother, prone to nightmares and odd pronouncements, not English, but not quite American again, not yet, did not fit Iso's new image. Nor did her mother, but Eliza expected no less. It was the slights against Albie that she found unbearable. Did you remember our chairs? Albie asked his mother. They're in the... She stopped herself from saying boot... Trunk. Iso was not appeased. It's not a trunk. It's a luggage compartment. Eliza hustled the children into the car, a Subaru Forester in which she already spent much of her days and would probably spend even more hours once school started. At 8.30 a.m., the day was already hot. Eliza wondered if the camp would cancel after all. There was some sort of formula involving temperature, humidity, and air quality that mandated the suspension of outdoor activities. Other mothers probably checked the internet or had an alert programmed into their mobiles, cell phones, but Eliza had long ago accepted that she was never going to be that kind of a mother. Besides, this was a private camp and a very macho one, with serious aspirations and a pronounced anglophilia. Iso's six years in London provided her great cachet, and she pretended to a much grander knowledge of UK soccer than she had acquired while living there. Eliza had marveled at how she did it. A few sessions at the computer, reading the UK newspapers and Wikipedia, and Iso could pass herself off as quite the expert, chatting about Manchester United and Arsenal, professing to be a fan of Tottenham Hotspur, which she breezily called the Spurs. Eliza was torn between admiration and disapproval for her daughter's social ambitions, not to mention her ability to execute them.
She tried to tell herself that ISO's adaptability would keep her safe in this world, yet she worried far more about calculating ISO than she did about trusting Albie. Cynics fooled themselves into thinking they had sussed out the worst-case scenarios and were invariably surprised by how life trumped them. Dreamers were often disappointed, but seldom in themselves. Eliza had installed spyware on the computer and monitored ISO's IM sessions, which appeared benign enough. Now ISO was pushing for her own phone, but Eliza wasn't sure if she could track text messages. She would have to seek the advice of other mothers, assuming she eventually made friends with Henny. On the shade-deprived field, she set up the portable camp chairs, casting a covetous glance at the -the in-the-know mothers who had umbrellas attached to their chairs, or, in the case of one super-prepared type, a portable canopy.